I know that we've been here for a, a few services in a row now, but um, this passage just so combines all of the different things that we're trying to bring together in this message. By the way, we pointed this out, given totals from each of the different wars that have been fought in the history of this nation. And um, according to official records, um, we're memorializing 657,966 Americans who've given their lives um, for the freedom that we have here in this country. So, um, amen, sobering for sure. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. If I could just summarize this passage, going back to verse 1 and working our way through, I want you to see the theme. Obviously, it's, it's more eloquently stated, and there's more depth in the way it's written. But the first verse is explaining to you and me the importance of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So what he's simply saying here is the least you can do is recognize that your life is not your own to do with as you please and for you to present yourself as a sacrifice. That, that of course, is speaking of humility and submission. Do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's talking about us no longer thinking the way the world thinks, but to think in agreement with our new birth and who we are in Christ and the plans and purposes that He has for our lives. Verse 3, He's here, for I say through the grace given me to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So one of the most important areas of renewing or reconditioning our minds is in the area of who we are in Christ, to begin to see ourselves the way our Heavenly Father sees us. Now, he's not discouraging that. And I'm going to go off subject for a moment, but it's the same type of overcompensation that has happened in other places with other subjects. And so, for instance, in 1 Corinthians... Paul is talking about the gifts of the Spirit, the supernatural workings and gifts of the Spirit. And he's trying to bring some structure and some order. They were a bunch of baby Christians. They'd never, you know, they got born again. They got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit is operating through the gifts of the Spirit in the church. And people are just all over each other. And so when Paul goes in to try to bring some structure and order to that, the, the, the challenge is that the pendulum swings the other way. Like he's trying to put a wet blanket on it or something. 
And so this is why the Apostle Paul you know, said many times, I'm not forbidding this. I'm not trying to discourage this. He says this, even you know, as a matter of fact, I speak in tongues more than all of you put together. So he's trying to emphasize that he's not telling them to not do this, but there's the, the time and the place and the proper use for these gifts. And, and that's what he's trying to emphasize, not to cut it out. And so in the same way, when it comes to the importance of you and me understanding who we became the day we became a new creature in Christ Jesus, he's not saying that we should somehow back away from that, that we should somehow deny that or somehow we don't need that. Please, we need that. Desperately we need that. But he's saying if we carry it too far, right, that becomes a problem as well. And in this case, carrying it too far is for you to only focus on who you are in Christ without any acknowledgement or without any understanding of how you connect with the other members of the body of Christ. So to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think is to think that you don't need anybody else. And he's bringing that to our understanding. The next thing that I want you to see is in verse 4, for as we have many members in one body. We are many members, but one body, the body of Christ. Many members, one body. But all the members do not have the same function. So he's talking about function. But again, how your individual function fits into the overall function of the body of Christ. Just like the different members of my body each have a function. And it's only when every member is functioning as they were created by God to function that my whole body functions as it was created to, be, to function, right? So if, you know, like if you've ever injured your arm or your hand, well, you have to compensate by, by and your mobility is limited, your effectiveness is, is limited, your productivity is limited, because why? Part of your body is not functioning as it was intended to function. Well, each one of us are individual members of the body of Christ. And if I don't know my function, or if I'm not performing my function, if you don't know your function, or if you're not performing your function, then the overall function of the body of Christ is going to be hindered or limited. He's trying to help us understand this. Not so much in a wagging your finger fussing at you, but to encourage you, man, you're important. We, we've said this numerous times, but, but we were created to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And, and, and we have that instinctively woven into us. And of course, that's what he is tapping into here. Amen. Now, we, I'm going to kind of just dive back into where we were this morning. And, and this was one of the last things we said um, who you are individually in Christ is among the most important truth you will ever accept, embrace, internalize, and renew your mind to. But if you never understand your identity in relationship to the other members of the body you are in Christ with, you will never function according to your true purpose and potential. Now, I'm going I'm to get ahead of myself, but I just feel compelled. The Holy Spirit keeps bringing this back to my attention. So one of the things that we've talked about around here for years is that identity unlocks purpose. And what I mean by that is you will never know why you are until you know who you are. I don't know when we'll get to it, but we see in the life of Jesus this pattern. 
until his true identity was revealed, he kept his true purpose a secret. But when his true identity was revealed, revealed by God the Father to and then through Peter, who do men say that I am? Jesus asked the question. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. And the Bible says from that moment he began to explain to them how he must die, how he must um, give his life. And of course, this was what inspired Peter to put his foot in his mouth and say, over my dead body you'll not be. And Jesus said, get behind me. You remember that whole part, right? Okay. But what we see tucked away in there is a very important truth. And again, that truth is identity, who you are, unlocks purpose, why you are. Until you know who you are in Christ, you will never understand your purpose. Well, the Holy Spirit spoke the next line of that to me, so let's, let me give that to you then. Identity unlocks purpose. Purpose unlocks function. Until you understand your purpose, you will never understand your function. How, what role you have been given in the body of Christ, in the vast plan of God. Remember, he says that you may prove what is the beneficial, well-pleasing, all-encompassing plan, purpose, desire, will of God for your life. Amen. Well, I, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying tonight. You're not just a nameless uh, face to your Creator. He numbers, let's not forget that He numbers the hairs on your head. He sings over you while you sleep. He certainly knows who you are as an individual. He loves you and He relates to you individually and personally. He desires to have personal fellowship with you, communion, where He shares with you and you share with Him. There, there, that is absolutely vital, it's absolutely important, and it's, a, and it's a beautiful thing, and Father wants to share that with you, all right? But when we start talking about purpose, when we start talking about purpose, I have no purpose outside of the body of Christ. Listen, not like, you know, you have no purpose being in a bad side of town after midnight. Now, I don't mean that. I mean literally, I have no purpose. In other words, every purpose that I have as a, as a human being on planet Earth has something to do with somebody else. Amen. It's, it's the way that Father created us and, and designed us, right? And the more I understand that purpose and function in it, that word right there, man, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's been breathing on that word in my heart, function, right? The more I understand that purpose and function in it, guess what? The more fulfilled I am in life. The more peace I have. The more contentment, inward satisfaction that leads to peace. The more joy the, the, the more um, meaningful my life is, right? Understanding why you're here and, and participating in that. And to, to me, your purpose and, and engaging and functioning in your purpose is so important. It's, it's like, um, you know, I've had the privilege, you know, over the last many years to, to help develop uh, you know, discipleship programs, recovery programs, curriculums, and things of this nature. And, and um, 
you know, to have input in, into those things. And, um, you know, the, the, the key to not just long-term but lifetime recovery is to find your purpose and fulfill it, right? But you can't just take someone, even a baby Christian, and say, this is your purpose, go do it, and you'll be all right. Because I'm not saying that you can't start participating in that in some way, but until that baby Christian, or for that matter, somebody's been a Christian for a long time but has never been taught who they are, your purpose will seem so much bigger than you that you'll never think you're capable of doing it. Now listen, I don't, it's, I, I'm not saying, you know, splitting hairs and stuff, you know. People all the time saying stuff like, if, uh, if you think you can do what God's asked you to do, then you're not, you don't know what he's asked you to do because what he asked you to do, you'll never think you can do it. I, listen, I, amen, that's not in the Bible. I, I could see how somebody could make those kinds of statements. What will bring you the confidence and assurance that you can do what Father put you on this earth to do is when you know who you are in Him. Then, you know, He can ask you to go stand in a fiery furnace and not be burned and you'll go do it. He can tell you to get out of a boat and walk on water and you'll get out of the boat and walk. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying? Because you, your confidence then is not in you. What's the difference in someone who knows who they are in Christ versus someone who doesn't? Well, the person who knows who they are in Christ knows that it ain't about what they're capable of doing themselves, but it's about what he's capable of doing through them, and that's why with him nothing's impossible. That's why we can do all things. doesn't stop there, right? Through Christ, which strengthens us. So we have the wherewithal, we have the power, the ability, the resources to accomplish everything that Father put. That's why he says he has given to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. But you'll never know what's been given to you until you know who you are because that's your inheritance. And notice how it keeps coming back to this all-important identity question. Your inheritance is what belongs to you because of who you are. Well, if you don't know who you are, you'll think what belongs to you, no way that's mine. I could talk about it all night, and if you don't know who you are, you'll amen me, take notes, and think it's for somebody else or everybody else in this room but you. But when you begin to understand who you are in Christ, the love that he has for you, what, what became true about you when he recreated you in Christ, what it means to be in Christ and for him to be in you, and, and, and the eternal promise and covenant that has sealed that, and, and all the different things, that, that the standing that you have, um, the, the position, the blessing, the favor, the anointing, the power, the gifts, the callings, all of these things that are yours now, right? When, when your mind is renewed to that, that's when nothing seems too hard, that nothing seems beyond uh, reach. So if I could give you the two things, and I'm, again, in an effort to try to simplify this, um, First of all, you need, to know, you need to know this, who I am in relationship to who God is, okay? But then the second thing, and, and it's related to it and connected to it, and that is who I am in relationship to who you are. I need to know these two things. You need to know these two things. Now, I could probably word that better now that I look at it, but let me, I think when I was writing this, the Lord was saying it to me personally. You know what I'm saying? So let me say it this way then. The, two of the most important things that I need to know, first of all, number one, I need to know who I am in relationship to who God is. Okay, my identity in Him, to see myself. Remember, he, He's talking about how we think about ourselves. 
right? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But you need to think about yourself. You need to think correctly. You need to think soberly in agreement with the salvation that you've received. Okay? So I need to know who I am in relationship to who God is. And as important as that is, though, that's not all I need to know. If, that's, if, if I think that's all I need to know, then I'm thinking more highly of myself than I ought to think. So number two, I need to know who I am in relationship to who you are. I need to know who I am in relationship to who you are. Let me try to say it this way. I can't see you clearly until I see myself clearly. And I can't see myself clearly until, until I see myself as Father sees me. Until I see myself as Father sees me. Now, in the time we have remaining tonight, I just I want to focus in on some things because I really, when I set out to, to preach today, I, I really didn't intend to go this in-depth into this subject, but I just really felt like the Holy Spirit was, was leading me. And, and, you know, there's different ways where, I, you know, just have become accustomed to Him leading me. And one of those ways is when, you know, I'm sitting there putting the sermon together at my desk and the, and the thoughts just keep coming and it's almost like they won't quit coming and I'll even get up and walk around the building get some water, go to the restroom and, and it's like I got to get back to my computer so I can type more thoughts, right? And, and that was kind of what was happening at this portion and so this turned out to be a much longer section than I had anticipated but I want to give you these things um, again, but I think they'll help us all, right? So um, a couple of these we covered this morning, but let's make another run at it. The more I see myself as he sees me, the more I'm able to see you as he sees you. The effect this has on my relationship with others is nothing less than profound. Now, I tried to, I tried to word these things in a way that would maybe make them more positive, but I do really feel like the Holy Spirit said this way, and and sometimes it's easier to recognize, like, for instance, Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. Um, sometimes we don't notice salt until it's missing. If the salt's in the potatoes, you don't usually think, I mean, you may say the potatoes are good, but you don't, like, say to the cook, you put the perfect amount of salt in these potatoes. But if the cook forgot to put the salt in the potatoes, yeah, right? So the same is, is true sometimes where we might can see the importance of these things better if we talk about the effect they have on us when they're missing, okay? Does that make sense? So I'm not trying to put a negative spin on this, but I think, again, you'll see as I, as I start to roll through these what I'm talking about. I'm sure nobody in this room, but you probably know somebody that's constantly irritated with other people, frustrated at other people, and impatient with other people. Well, constant irritation, frustration, and impatience with other people are really good signs that you don't see yourself as Father sees you. Because the more you see yourself as Father sees you, the more patience, the more endurance, the more long-suffering you're going to have with other people. Now, again, I'm sure nobody in here, and I'm not going to say this every time, but I'm sure nobody in here has ever had or is struggling even now with some anger issues in, um, in their lives. See, the, the world will always sell you or try to sell you a bill of goods far short of what Jesus bled to death naked on a cross 
to produce in your life. And so the world says, you got anger issues, you, let me tell you what you need. You need some anger management. No, no, we don't need anger management. We need anger resolution. Let's resolve it. Right? It's a dominant negative emotion that you were never meant to be dominated by. Jesus bled to death naked on a cross to set us free at every level of our existence. And if there's anger issues in our lives, if we have a temper that we can't control, if we're always flying off the handle, blah, 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 well, again, we can settle for trying to manage it, keep it under control so we don't get us in trouble, or we can seek resolution. Now, I want to remind you, I want to remind you that the more I see myself as He sees me, the more I'm able to see you as He sees you. The effect this has on my relationship with others is nothing less than profound. So anger issues and coinciding with that, judging other people, are more glaring signs you don't know who you are in Christ. All right, let me stop here for a minute. The Word of God makes it very clear, and Jesus said it in no uncertain, term, in ter- in no uncertain terms. Judge not, do not judge, lest you be judged. Whatever way you judge other people, you will be judged in return. If you show mercy to other people, the Father will show mercy to you. If if you judge and are critical and hard on other people, you expose yourself to the enemy. Amen or me. The Bible says that mercy rejoices against judgment. You're not the judge of anybody but yourself. But even when it comes to judging yourself, you need to be careful there as well. Because the Bible says, even if your own heart condemns you, Father doesn't. But even if you were the judge, it's not judgment day. Aren't you glad? We're all still a work in progress. We've got no business judging another person. Now, you ready? You cannot get angry at another person without judging them. Let that sink in for a minute. I saw some of you kind of roll your eyes or look funny, whatever. Think about it for a minute. Thank God I never have and I never will be. But Todd Ivy, if I was to ever get really angry at you, it means because I've judged that you've done something that you shouldn't have done and some kind of offense towards me or whatever. You can't get angry at another person without judging them. Can't believe they did that. Can't believe they said that. Can't believe blah, blah. And you know what the Bible says? You're sitting there talking about what you can't believe they did and you've done the exact same thing yourself. Getting kind of quiet up in the house. Thank you for that grin back there, Brother Marty. He's helping me. Am I right about this, though? Come on now. Am I right about this? Why do we judge other people? 
Every time you judge somebody, you can't get angry without judging them, but every time you judge somebody, it's because you've compared them to yourself. Right? You're comparing yourself to them. Which reveals what? You're trying to find out who you are because you don't know yet. You won't ever compare yourself to another person when you know who you are in Christ. You'll celebrate their talents and abilities. And, and Oh, praise God. I got the right message in the right bunch tonight? Okay, all right. Anger issues and judging other people are more glaring signs you don't know who you are in Christ. Knowing who you are in Christ and becoming confident in these truths will improve or even solve altogether every relationship issue. Now let me give you a few of these. I think we've got time to do it. When we don't know who we are in Christ, you're going to hear me say that phrase a few times and we'll fill in the blank afterwards, okay? When we, notice I'm saying we, when we don't know who we are in Christ, we try to get from other people what can only be found by being in Christ and knowing who we are in Him. When we don't know this, we try to get it from other people. Not knowing who we are in Christ creates, listen to me please, not knowing who we are in Christ creates unrealistic expectations of others and leads to disappointment with ourselves and others. I want to make sure you follow the progression here. When I don't know who I am in Christ, it puts me in a position to try to find out from you who I am, to try to get from you what I can only get from Him. You can't give me what I can only get from Him, and I can't give you what you can only get from Him. But if we don't get this truth and these inf this information from Him, we look to other people to meet these needs in our lives. Which means we've just put an unrealistic expectation on our friend, on our spouse, on our children, on our mom, on our dad, what have you. In other words, we've just expected them to do something for us that they were never meant to be able to do by God. So when you expect something from someone that they don't have the, the ability to give to you, then that, my friend, is a recipe for disappointment. And it usually goes some combination of something's really wrong with me and something is at least wrong with them in some part. Not knowing who we are in Christ is at the heart of the blame game. The blame game. Right? Trouble in a relationship. Very, very hard for people to make progress when all they're trying to do is figure out who's to blame. Why do they think either one of them's to blame? Because again, they haven't done for me what I need them to do for me. They're not giving to me what I need them to give to me. They're not meeting the need in my life that I need them to meet for me. So it's their fault our relationship is in a shambles. All of this goes back to not knowing who we are in Christ. When we don't know who we are in Christ, we try to discover our identity from others. I know some of you taking photographs. Anybody want to take a picture of that one? That's fine if you do. Amen. That's the first one we just went through. Here's the next slide. When we don't know who we are in Christ, we try to discover our identity from others. When we don't know who we are in Christ, we live our lives through the eyes of other people trying to become who we think they want us to be. 
When we don't know who we are in Christ, we feel like we have to pretend around other people. Put on a mask. When we don't know... There's that one. Amen. I'm going to put them up as I read them, all right? Just don't get too far ahead of me. Is that good enough? When we don't know who we are in Christ, we feel threatened by other people's talents. This is a real problem in the body of Christ. Heaven help us. When we don't know who we are in Christ, we are not free to serve others. Mm. I don't have it in my notes, but one of my favorite leadership quotes comes from Dr. Miles Monroe. This one happens to hit me right between the eyes because I came out of my mother's womb 51 plus years ago looking for somebody to please. That's my personality, all right? And um, the leadership quote from Dr. Monroe is this, you cannot effectively lead other people until you are free from their opinions of you. Ouch. Ouch. (laughs) Still working on that one. Amen. You cannot effectively lead people until you are free from their opinions of you. In order to be the servant leader that our Heavenly Father needs each of us to be in the area of our gifting, we've got to be free from what people think and say. When we don't know who we are in Christ, we're not free to serve others. When we don't know who we are in Christ, we judge others by comparing ourselves to them. The Bible says that you should never compare yourself to other members of the body of Christ. And I think that extends to all humanity, but especially within the body of Christ. Because this is what's going to happen, okay? If you compare yourself to someone who is not as far along as you, it's going to give you a false sense of superiority. But if you compare yourself to someone who is further along than you or who seems to be more gifted or talented than you, it's going to make you feel falsely inferior. You see, this goes back to living your life through the eyes of other people and how you look compared to other people. Again, until we know who we are in Christ and are confident in that, we're going to be at the mercy of these kinds of things. This next one, are you ready for it? When we don't know who we are in Christ, we are too sensitive concerning the words and actions of others and too insensitive concerning our own words and actions. I think I'll just get me a little drink of water right now. Amen or oh me? So sensitive about how somebody else acts around us and what they may say to us and all this other stuff. But again, insensitive when it comes to our own words and actions. When we don't know who we are in Christ, we are easily offended. When we don't know who we are in Christ, we have a hard time forgiving. Knowing who I am in Christ gives me the security and humility necessary to relate to, fellowship with, work together with, be patient with, give to, receive from, 
and serve the other members in the body of Christ. I think I'll put that on the screen and read it again. Knowing who I am in Christ gives me the security and humility necessary to relate to, fellowship with, work together with, be patient with, give to, receive from, and serve the other members in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. I'll finish here. Three phrases. Three. And this is the way the Holy Spirit spoke them to me. His body, our body, my body. Okay? It's going to require a little, little explaining here, a little explanation, okay? All of these are referring to the same body. His body, we are His body. His body, come on now. We are His body. I know I'm, fun. I know I'm coming down here and I'm supposed to be finishing, but this, let's get this, all right? I feel like I need to be closer to you to say it. All right. You're His body, you're His body, you're His body, you're His body, we're His body. So that makes it our body. This is our body. I got the scripture in my notes, but Ephesians 5 says this, and he's trying to help us better understand the relationship that Jesus has with his body. He says we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. We are his body. He said it's not that, you know, he's talking about marriage and he's talking about the body of Christ and, and how these two are symbolic or, 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 or representative of one another is a better word, representative of one another. And when he talks about how uh, a man and a wife become one, he makes this statement. He says no man ever hated his own body but he loves it and he cherishes it and he cares for it and he nourishes it. Talking about the husband and wife becoming one and how, how they should love and nourish and cherish one another because they are one. I've never understood husbands and wives tearing down the person they're going to go sleep with you know, in the same bed each night. It just makes no sense to me. You're going to live under the same roof with the person that you're actively tearing down. Come on now, the devil makes us dumb, but we're not that dumb, are we? Anyway, let's build one another up, right? Let's build one another up, right? All right, let me, let me finish this. So, his body. Our body. My body. I don't mean my body, Mark Winslet's body. I mean this body is my body. Right? We might say it this way, taking ownership, personalize it. Thank you for that word, Vanessa. Personalize it. His body, our body, my body. You got it? I was going to say, if you ain't got it, we stay in here until you do, so I know you want to go home. No, I'm kidding. Amen. His body. Our body, my body. You are 
the body of Christ, now you are, I'm quoting 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Romans 12, you are the body of Christ, member individually, and a member of one another. His body, our body, my body. Amen. Stand with me. Praise God. You get anything out of this? You know, we could stay here another three hours talking about who we are in Christ. We have resources. I don't know if there's any of that on the media tables back there. The Word of God makes it very, very clear, your new identity. It's very important. Not something you're trying to become. If you're born again, you've already become these things. It now becomes a matter of your thinking, the way you see yourself catching up with who you truly are. Amen. These things will revolutionize your life reality. Father, thank you. This time together this evening, thank you for this beautiful bunch of men and women. Lord, I know I said it once already, and probably some of these men don't like to be called beautiful, but Father, it's a beautiful sight to see people coming together in unity, people from all kinds of different backgrounds and and, and um, Lord, experiences in life, and, and yet, Lord, many members, but one body. Your body, Father, our body, your body, Jesus, our body, my body. Help us understand what you're saying, the depth of what you're saying by those three phrases. Father, thank you for a great week ahead. Lord, let, let everything we put our hands to this week prosper for your glory. I thank you for your hedge of protection around us. I thank you, Lord, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. I thank you, Father, that all of us are your children, Lord, because we've been born again and we're all taught of you and great will be our peace this week. I thank you, Father, that you are manifesting yourself and your life and your goodness, not just to us, but through us, Father. Lord, help us be keenly aware of those around us this week and what we can do to serve them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Shake somebody's head, hug somebody's neck, shake somebody's hand. Don't shake their head. Shake their hand and hug their neck and um, love somebody in Jesus. Thank you for being here. We will see you Wednesday, if not before.